There are a bunch of brave souls that came on a Thursday afternoon to come see this, and I'm, I'm really happy you're here. Um, welcome to the session. Um, I hope reInvent has been amazing for you so far. It's been pretty amazing for me. I've had a tremendous number of conversations with a lot of you, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. I've learned a lot. Uh, my name is Wayne Duso, and I head up uh, AWS's file services, data transfer services, and a few new initiatives and services that we actually didn't announce at reInvent this year. We're, we're going to hold those ones back maybe for a few more weeks um, and, uh, and give you all something to think about uh, post-reInvent. Uh, yesterday, Andy talked uh, a lot about uh, storage innovations. This has been an amazing, amazing conference for us with respect to the things we've done with our storage services. And what I'm going to focus in on here today are the innovations, the releases uh, that we did, the launches that we did for services related to file and file storage. Uh, but first, a little bit of a disclaimer. Standing up in front of all of you doesn't really make me nervous, but it's not my most fun thing to do. Uh, I'd rather listen to you than talk at you. Um, so what we're going to try to do here today is get through the, the basic uh, services that we have in the, in the concepts. Uh, we also have a special guest that's going to join us uh, and, and, and talk to us about um, his company's journey uh, to AWS and all in journey to the cloud. Uh, but I want to leave some time at the end uh, because this is uh, you know, more of a survey session to take whatever questions you may have. So, um, and if you don't have questions, I'll, I'll ask a few myself and answer them myself, uh, and then we'll move on. So in the next 20 minutes or so, uh, I'm going to walk through our AWS file storage uh, file system, uh, file transfer, and hybrid file storage uh, services. And um, I'm also super excited uh, to have um, a customer uh, in the, in, in, with us here today that's going to talk about their journey to the cloud and how they used um, the, the services that we're going to talk about uh, to make that journey happen. Uh, I think you'll, you'll, you'll find this very interesting. So we've got a lot, of, lot to cover, so let me, let me jump in. So the service teams have been super busy uh, in the last year since last reInvent, and we had a ton of exciting announcements. I mean, a ton of exciting announcements uh, that, that were made yesterday. And I want to I review some of those with you here today. But before I do that, uh, I want to say thank you um, for all of the partnering, thought partnering, and business um, that you've afforded us over the last couple of years. Um, AWS Storage has grown tremendously, um, and I want to thank you for that. Uh, we've seen customers from virtually every industry and size adopt both EFS and Storage Gateway. Customers like BBC, Lone Logics, Celgene, Adobe, Airbnb, Pinterest, and the Weather Company, just to name a few. And, and all of these companies are leaders uh, in, their in, in their industries, and they've all chosen AWS uh, as, as their journey uh, to the cloud. And in just a few short years, uh, EFS has grown and has been adopted by tens of thousands of customers. You know, every day we manage hundreds of thousands of file systems on behalf of those customers, which contain hundreds of billions of files. 
And that's just in a couple of years. So it's a, it's a really amazing adoption story by, by a lot of customers. And Storage Gateway uh, has been used to build hybrid solutions for customers, tens of thousands of customers, and on a daily basis is moving and processing petabytes of storage on your behalf. These incredible numbers uh, for, for services that have been uh, out just for a few years. So AWS has been helping customers on their journey to the cloud for almost 13 years. Um, and uh, in that time, companies like General Electric have moved you know, 9,000 applications from on-prem uh, into AWS. Companies like Netflix have architected their entire infrastructure uh, onto AWS. And companies like Pinterest started on AWS and they continue their journey uh, with, with us. And frankly, all of the input we get from all of you and all of those customers really drives about 90 to 95% of what we do and what we deliver. Um, you all are fundamentally the drivers of all the innovation that you see here at the show and, and what we do during the year. Um, and I wanted to provide uh, or share some observations, especially in the file space with you in terms of how uh, people make that journey on, onto the cloud. And it's really important uh, for uh, the spaces that um, I'm here representing today because many of my customers, many of you, are enterprise customers. Right? You, things like file systems are at the core of what you do and the core of your applications. And so these patterns really apply, all of them really apply to, to customers like yourself. Um, so for instance, the first pattern I like to talk about is rehosting, and this is a pattern that a lot of uh, uh, companies engage from the get-go. Uh, generally, it means taking their virtual machines or their applications in some form and bringing them onto AWS, putting them on EC2 instance, perhaps putting some EBS storage behind them, and just running them. And this is, in many ways, we often call it a do-it-yourself uh, implementation for, for these services. And companies like GE that moved those 9,000 applications uh, to AWS, a lot of that started um, very quickly. They had a goal of moving 50 applications, no, 30 applications in 50 days. Um, that's, that's pretty aggressive. And with that kind of leadership thought, they leveraged a lot of the rehosting uh, patterns in order to do that. Now, um, you also have the opportunity to replatform. And what replatform by and large means is that you take your application to AWS, but you leverage some of the services on AWS so that you don't have to maintain infrastructure even in the form of EC2 and EBS, as, as I said in the previous example. So for instance, um, if we were in the database space, if you were rehosting, you might take some EC2 instances, you might put MySQL on top of those, and you might operate those. But you could, when you replatform, just simply bring your application and start using RDS and let us take care of all of the heavy lifting, if you would, of ma managing and maintaining that infrastructure. And so that's an example of replatforming. With, with a service like EFS, very, very similar. If you have an application that relies on file um, or file systems, your ability to bring your application and put, place it on top of a POSIX uh, compliant file system like EFS and simply start operating 
not worrying about the infrastructure, but focusing in on your business logic, your business application, you can get going much quicker with a lot less energy and a lot less worry on, in terms of what you need to do for, for infrastructure. And the last pattern I wanted to bring up is re-architecting. So in re-architecting, uh, sort of like re-platforming, you're leveraging more and more of the services that we have to offer. And as an example, um, we, uh, and we'll, we're going to talk about this in a few minutes, um, there are companies, FINRA being a good example, that um, is, it's a regulatory uh, age, uh, company, uh, uh, and part of what they uh, have core to their business is a fraud detection application, which had been written for on-prem uh, years, years before um, they made their journey to AWS. But when they made that journey, they decided in that particular case, in order to achieve the agility and the scale that they would require, it made sense for them to re-architect their application for AWS, and they did not go through the re-hosting you know, re or re-platforming uh, phases. Now, these are all, whether it's GE or whether it's FINRA, these are all interesting and good examples of companies that have made their journey to the cloud using one of these patterns. And what's even more important is that these are not mutually exclusive. It all depends on which applications you're bringing and where you are in your, in your journey. Often many of these are used at the same time. Okay, so that's the preamble. Now, I'm assuming, because you're all here, you all have some sort of file systems or files of some sort in your, in your life. And, and we did title uh, the session, uh, Got Files. So I'm, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say that uh, all of you have files and, and perhaps uh, you have uh, a lot of files. Now, it's a tautology that every business has files in some, some form. And, and hopefully it's not exactly um, like this, even though some days it may seem like it looks like this uh, for you. Uh, we're here to help with that. Uh, but what we do know is that file storage is growing because file data is core to many of your business applications. And every day we see uh, customers across virtually every industry uh, building innovative file-based applications and solutions on AWS. And businesses of every type use file storage for their business uh, mission critical and business critical applications, as well as for their big data compute intensive applications. So in fact, unstructured data makes up the vast majority of companies' storage footprint today. And uh, those may exist in the form of files, they may exist in the form of objects, or in, in even many cases in the form of databases. And uh, we all have you know, personal productivity files. We all create pictures. Some of you are doing it right now uh, as you're taking pictures of these uh, slides, which is awesome. Uh, so you're creating lots of you know, rich media assets. Uh, and we have you know, devices that sit within our labs or our, our businesses that are generating really big data sets. Um, and you know, they're created from a myriad of, of devices. Um, and what many of uh, you have told us and, and our observations, a lot of your data lives outside the cloud. You know, it lives on-prem, it may live in colos, and in listening to you all, um, you know, uh, there are all sorts of uh, applications 
uh, that are siloed uh, in, in these areas, and they're distributed across a number of locations, often duplicated, undermanaged, and more importantly, undervalued. You're not often getting the value you could out of your data, and that's something we want to help you with as well. So file-based applications, workloads, and storage are broad and deep. You know, each has its own performance, durability, availability, characteristics, and economics. And to, effect, to effectively serve, uh, there isn't just one size that fits all solutions. And with cloud-based services and a pay-as-you-go model, there doesn't need to be just one file-based solution for all of your needs. So this year, and specifically this week, um, is significant in terms of the file-based services uh, options that uh, we are able to deliver to you, our customers. And whether you have you know, an on-prem implementation that you're looking to bring uh, to the cloud whether, you know, in a, in a re-hosting uh, fashion, uh, or you're you know, building DYI solutions yourself um, with us, um, we can help reduce with our solutions, we can help reduce the operational burden and the cost with our in-cloud file system services, our file transfer services, and for those of you who are embracing a hybrid strategy with our hybrid storage solutions as well. All right, so I'm going to cover three areas today. I'm gonna to cover in-cloud file systems. I'm gonna cover data transfer services that pertain to files. So we have a lot of data transfer services. I'm not gonna cover them all today. And we're also gonna cover hybrid storage as it pertains to file. So let me start with file systems. Um, up till this week, we had one file system service to offer you, and that was EFS, and that was, that was uh, launched in 2016. And in Andy's keynote, he announced the launch of FSX, uh, a service family for providing uh, fully managed third-party file systems to you. So with EFX uh, and FSX, we provide the right tools for the problems that you have and the problems that you've told us about. Um, with EFS, you can easily share um, across thousands of Linux-based instances a highly scalable, highly reliable, highly durable file system that scales to petabyte scales and, and uh, hundreds of thousands of IOPS. With FSX for Windows, um, you can now have a native Windows file system that is hosted on Windows servers that is fully managed for you. It is built on SSD storage and provides you with gigabytes of throughput, provides you with tremendous IOPS and sub-millisecond latencies. And with FSX for Lustre, you have a fully managed service for your compute-intensive workloads. And this is built on a highly popular open source Lustre file system, which is a parallel file system. So if you have Linux file needs, think about EFS. If you have Windows file needs, think about FSX for Windows. And if you have big data compute intensive file needs, I would ask you to take a look at FSX for Lustre. So let's double click into each of these and just do a little bit of a survey uh, on what they provide. So we launched EFS in 2016 to provide customers with a fully managed service providing simple, scalable, elastic, file system for Linux workloads. And EFS is great for a broad range of applications. Um, in fact, what, what we see is that virtually every industry um, has applications that do very well on EFS today. 
and in, when they need uh, a scalable, elastic, highly durable, highly available file system. It's a great choice for, for, for those needs. And this week, we announced uh, the availability of, uh, coming soon, the availability of a new storage class called EFSIA, or Infrequent Access. Uh, today, we have a storage class called EFS Standard Storage Class, and that storage class costs 30 cents per, gig per gigabyte month. And it's built on SSD and provides customers with tremendous performance, tremendous throughput. But what we know from listening to you is that a vast majority of your file data over time ages and you don't need to access it as frequently. And at 30 cents, it's a little prohibitive in leaving that data there. So what we've done with um, EFSIA is to provide a brand new storage class that's priced at um, 4.5 cents a gig uh, per month. And that, that uh, storage class is under the same namespace as um, your, your file system with standard storage. And in doing so, you, um, and, we, and we provide a lifecycle management policy that after 30 days, will move data from uh, standard to IA. And what this does is it allows your application to use the data, whether it's, it's on standard or on IA, without ever having to know where that data lives um, in your file system. So we're very excited, and we're, we're looking forward to bringing this to you uh, in early uh, 2019. Okay, so this was the most requested capability last year at reInvent. Uh, when, when we were talking to people last year, um, the, the thing that they said the most is, can you provide us a solution for Windows? And so this week we announced FSX uh, for Windows File Server, and what we've done here is provide you with a, a fully compatible native uh, Windows file server on Windows servers and have taken the, the burden of having to maintain those, build those, maintain those on AWS, and we've taken that upon us into the service. So no more patching, no more updating, no more managing and administrating any of these capabilities yourself. We take care of this for you. And we're doing this uh, on SSD storage, as I said earlier, so you're getting tremendous throughput, tremendous IOPS, um, and great scale. FSx for Lustre is a little bit different than what we have for EFS and FSx for Windows, because those file systems are really built for business applications. We were also told last year, though that's all well and good, but for people who have high-performance computing needs, HPC needs, or compute-intensive workloads, can you provide us with a solution that can scale to hundreds of gigabytes per second, millions of IOPS at sub-millisecond latencies, and can you make it super affordable? So this week, we also announced FSX for Lustre, which provides you with those capabilities and a fully managed solution that with only a couple clicks of a mouse, you can stand up a, a FSX Lustre file system, connect it to your S3 data lake, and start populating that file system as your application is running. You can run your analysis, you can run your compute intensive workloads for hours, for weeks, for days, for months, whatever works for you. And then using Lustre's uh, HSM capabilities, which is built into the client, um, you can write all of that data back to S3 and you can blow the file system away. You can delete the file system so you don't have to maintain that infrastructure when you're not using it. 
And as soon as you need it again, you just, uh, again, a couple clicks of the mouse or using CloudFormation or some other automation, raise up that file system. It's connected to your S3 bucket and you can start the process all over again. So we're pretty excited about that. So what's really important here is that um, in these use cases, um, customers are looking for, and what you've told us is you're looking for a solution that is fast and cheap, but not necessarily durable because you're not running it for long periods of time. So the source of truth for data using FSS for Lustre is an S3 bucket. It could be another data source. There's other, you can use other data sources as well, but the easiest thing is to use part of an S3 bucket or an S3 data lake that you have. And by, by connecting it to the, your S3 bucket, we have the ability to populate that file system. We read all the metadata in when, when that connection is, occurs, and then we lazy load the data into the file system as your application processes it. So as soon as that file system is created, you can start processing. And as soon as you're done, you can write that data back, you can checkpoint it back, you can fully write it back, and when we term, terminate the file system for you, we make sure all that data gets back to the source of truth which is your S3 data lake. Okay, so really it, what we're talking about this year is we have more choices and these choices can be used for whatever is the best fit for your application needs. So last year you told us, I really need a Windows solution. Last year you told us, I really need a big data compute intensive file system solution. And you also told us, that as much as you love EFS and as much as you're using it, I would want, I want to use it more. I want to be able to put more data in, but not at 30 cents a terabyte, uh, excuse me, 30 cents a gigabyte, because a lot of my data is not accessed that often. So this year we delivered two file system services, FSX for Lustre, FSX for Windows, and one new storage class, EFS IA. So thank you for that input. A lot of fun building these things. All right, so let's shift gears for a minute and talk about file transfer. Um, moving your data to where it needs to be easily, fast, uh, and ensuring that it's secure and correct is super important. And AWS provides a myriad of file transfer services depending on uh, what your needs are. But we're really just going to talk about a couple that we launched this week. And specifically, we're going to talk about AWS DataSync and AWS transfer for SFTP. Now, customers have built solutions for moving data onto the cloud for a long time uh, with open source solutions and also third party solutions. But what they did is they came to us and they said, hmm, this open source stuff is good, but I don't wanna build and maintain and scale that infrastructure. And using third party capability is also good, but you know, sometimes I just don't wanna pay what I have to for those third party solutions. So what we've done is we've listened to that feedback and we've provided a service which um, enables you to move um, your data from any source uh, to any AWS storage service. And with the launch, we've started off by moving file data from on-prem to either EFS or S3. And so this week we announced AWS DataSync to provide you with those capabilities. It's a fully managed service, it's fully scalable, um, for instance, if you have a 10 gig pipe and you'd like to fill it up, AWS DataSync can fill up a 10 gig pipe and move your data into AWS very quickly into S3 or EFS. 
and it's, and it's a pay-as-you-go service, so you pay four cents per gig that we move into or move out of uh, AWS, and you pay for no uh, other infrastructure. Now, AWS transfer for SFTP came to us because in the world of uh, electronic data interchange, or EDI, many of our customers, um, including insurance companies and banks and so on, have been using the FTP protocol as core to their EDI applications for years, and specifically they use a you know, secure version, SFTP. And when they make their journey to the cloud, this is a core workflow that they need to move in, and they've been doing so by building their own solutions, again, having to maintain that infrastructure, which is not core to what they do, and it's not core to the application that needs that infrastructure. So this week, we've announced um, this new service, which is a fully managed service, which allows customers to come in and with a few clicks of the mouse once again, they can stand up a domain name, yourcompany.sftp.com, you know, uh, or sftp and with that, we will maintain uh, an SFTP site for you, and all of your data lands in S3, which then allows you to use all of the S3 capability to trigger additional workflows or additional value within AWS. <laughs> you know, okay, here's the funny thing. Um, every single time I tell this story, there is somebody who's so happy, so thank you. Thank you. Um, and, uh, and, and also, um, in Andy's keynote uh, this week, some of you may have been happily surprised or maybe even shocked uh, of our announcement of, of Outpost. Uh, which is um, a, another step uh, that we have taken um, into providing customers the right solutions for their hybrid needs. And uh, AWS has, you know, continues to deliver these solutions, but for over five years, uh, we've offered a solution to help customers build uh, their hybrid storage solutions and enable on-prem applications to seamlessly integrate uh, with AWS storage. And that's been done through uh, the AWS Storage Gateway. And it's all, for a very long time has been an integral part of our customers' journey to the cloud, whether they're building hybrid storage solutions, cloud-bursting applications, they're migrating uh, to, uh, to the cloud, or they're building cloud-based uh, business continuance uh, solutions. Customers like Loan Logic and um, uh, Celgene, Stem Cell, Moderna, and Just Giving all started or accelerated their journey to the cloud by using Storage Gateway. It's kind of the easy button if you would, for a lot of companies. It's built on standard protocols, uh, so if uh, you have a uh, file need, it's, it, it supports both SMB and NFS. If you have a volume need, it supports iSCSI volumes, and it even supports iSCSI for VTL tape. And these have been tremendously important uh, for customers in making their journey uh, to the cloud. There are two options that you can use for file-based workloads. One is the file uh, gateway, which we announced a couple of years ago. And again, supports both SMB and uh, NFS protocols. And volume, tape, uh, volume gateway, which a lot of customers will stand up a server in front of and use the iSCSI volume capability to serve their applications. Okay. With all the great services supporting file-based workloads, you may be asking, well, you know, how do these help transform my business? So um, we're lucky enough today uh, to have uh, Terrell with us from Lone Logics, and he has been not only a pioneer 
uh, but a thought partner and an exemplar when it comes to architecting and leading his company uh, on their journey uh, to the cloud. And I won't uh, speak at length on what a Lone Logics do, uh, does. I will leave that up uh, to Terrell. But let me uh, welcome him up to the uh, stage now. Thank you, Wayne. Good afternoon, reInvent. How is everyone? What happens in Vegas is staying in Vegas, right? Um, Wayne, thanks for uh, letting me uh, participate today and talk a little bit about our journey. So who is Lone Logics and what do we do? So when people ask me, lay people ask me what exactly it is that we do as a company, one of the first questions I ask them right back is if they've seen the movie The Big Short. How many of you have seen the movie The Big Short? Quite a few. Um, so there's three or four parallel plot lines that take place in that movie. Um, and I actually had to watch the movie four or five different times just to be able to follow them all and understand what was transpiring. But what the scary part about it is, while they took some creative license in making that movie to obviously make it entertaining, the bulk of that movie, the, thing, the facts and the, the plot lines that it talks about, that stuff really happened. And many of us in this room experienced that, uh, whether personally with our own families or friends that we know and the housing collapse that uh, was precipitated by all of that activity. And then that in turn led to the collapse of the global financial system. So Loan Logics was started in 2013 by the merger of two prior existing technology companies with the sole mission to try to prevent what happened in 2008 from ever happening again. So we're, we're what we call a reg tech or regulatory technology company. And in, in so doing, um, after the housing crisis, many of the new regulatory bodies like the FHFA uh, and others that the federal government instituted enforced all new regulations on lending institutions uh, of things they had to be compliant with and, and follow in order to prevent that from happening. So we developed a platform uh, called Loan HD uh, that allows us to point out to those lenders or investors uh, who are buying those pools of loans that you saw talked about in the movie where the risk and the regulatory risk and issues are in those loans. So how do we do that? We do that by analyzing and uh, classifying via machine learning uh, and data extraction algorithms, as you can see here, millions of documents of mortgage loans a month that we process through our platform. So the name of the, of the session today is called Got Files. Did we have files? We had lots of files. Uh, files so many that we were quickly uh, running out of, uh, of things to do with and, and space to store them. So this numbers just continue to grow uh, hour by hour at Loan Logics. So this is where we started. Initially, we had uh, VMware vSphere um, uh, replication set up between a hot, uh, hot, hot data centers, uh, one in Atlanta and one in Miami. Um, and that worked well for us for a while as we started the company and got it off the ground. What we qu quickly ran into in that scenario is our ever-growing storage demands. And really, the, there were two issues that, that we were faced with. One, our managed services provider being able to react quickly enough to our needs for picking up the phone, hey, we need new, uh, new disks in our DAS units. We need new DAS units. Uh, and them telling us it's going to be six weeks to, uh, to, to get the equipment. We didn't have six weeks. We had, some case, hours or days. So our first step was to implement the cached volume storage gateway. This allowed us to, our, our applications are all uh, Java and Red Hat Linux based that process these files. 
and we need a POSIX NFS-based file system. So we had no time to replatform or re-architect, uh, unfortunately. Uh, so we needed to find a solution that worked with our applications as they were built. So we implemented the storage gateway on-prem in our vSphere uh, cluster, and that allowed our applications to have access to, uh, in, with very low latency, the, the most recent and currently accessed files uh, that we're holding in the storage gateway cache uh, in our platform. While at the same time, in the back end, all of that volume and data is being pushed out into uh, volumes at, at AWS. So this allowed us to get our critical data uh, responsible for our applications over to the cloud. I made the argument internally at our company that, you know what, we can rebuild our application stacks all day long, we can redeploy the applications. If we lose our data, close the doors, we're out of business. So we had to have a way for durable long-term storage of the important data files for our applications. And the storage gateway allowed us to start that journey. After we stood up the storage gateway, any new workloads that we built as a company at that point, and this started in early 2014, we did not deploy any more new workloads on-prem in our managed services data centers. All new workloads started to be deployed at AWS. Our next step, as we started our journey to migrate our applications, was to migrate our MySQL cluster that we had running in our vSphere stack to RDS Aurora. And we've had that in place now for a couple of years and are very, very happy with it. And now, as of May 23rd of this year, as you'll see here on the slide in a moment, we are 100% in the cloud at AWS. It was a little over a three-year journey. Um, and once we made that jump with all of our applications, we were able to adopt EFS. Uh, we were very excited about EFS because even with the storage gateway, uh, there were some concerns about being able to, uh, to stay uh, on constantly having available storage, but even more so than that, a highly durable storage platform, which EFS brought to the table for us. And as Wayne was talking a moment ago, the EFS IA that was announced this week, as you can imagine with the amount of files that we store, how much of a uh, financial uh, impact that's going to uh, have for us. So we're very excited and thanks Wayne and the team for, uh, for introducing that. So where we are today, um, as you saw for the first few slides, we have what we started with just a few AWS services. So this is just a small few of the services that, that we use today. RDS, EFS, API Gateway, S3. Uh, we still have some storage, gaze, uh, storage gateways running. We're heavy SQS users, Cognito. Um, so we now, this, again, this is just a few of them. We're probably using at least 60 to 70 AWS services today in our stack. And how did this really help our company? Well, the biggest one, or one of the biggest ones, it, it allowed us to trade CapEx for OpEx. Uh, but of course, I'm sure as, as many of you know, and all of you know, it makes our CFO's heads explode a little bit trying to uh, adapt to that, uh, that model, but uh, it's been very beneficial for us. Um, and this is something that we talk about often in our company. Prior to migrating to the cloud, we had our infrastructure teams and our engineering teams. Yeah, they had to work together, but not, to the, not near to the level that our, our migrating to the cloud has now facilitated. Our infrastructure teams and our engineering teams are in lockstep now in our DevOps practice every single day. And it's really given us great agility to grow our business in ways that we would never have been able to otherwise with the limitations and constraints we had in running on-prem. And with that, I'll turn it back over to Wayne. Thank you, everyone. Thank you very much. 
Okay, so uh, this is the part of the session that I love the most. Uh, one, we're going to provide you with direction on sessions related to these topics that are still to be held. So if you want to take a picture of that, I'll leave it up there for a moment. And on the next slide, uh, I'm going to show you all of the sessions that we had this week pertaining to these topics that are going to be up on YouTube. So uh, take, note, take note of the uh, session code. And many of these are already up on YouTube. And you can appreciate um, some of the uh, depth of story that exists for whether it's EFS, EFSIA, FSX, the, various, the variants, data sync, SFTP, or storage gateway. Um, there are a tremendous number of sessions. I think somewhere on, in the neighborhood of 40 plus sessions. It's about right, about 40 plus sessions that we did. Some of those, if you dedupe them down, probably somewhere in the 30 range uh, for, for these topics. Um, but with that said, a couple things. Um, I want to make sure that, I thank you. I want to make sure we do that. Apparently there isn't a slide, it's further down, okay. I didn't practice for this particular slide. Please complete your session survey. This is the, this is the PSA on your mobile app uh, so that we can get your feedback because we aren't perfect, we're far from it, and we need your feedback. So it's really, really important. But with that said, this is the part of the session that I love the most, which is um, any question, like you know, survey level question, 400 level question, 800 level question, it's all good. Um, so with that, anybody want to bravely walk up to the mic? Let's see how I asked you to walk up to the mic? That's awesome. Thank you. Wayne, great uh, comments here. I've heard a lot about EFS performance, but I haven't heard as much about latency aspects. Um, can you share some comments on that? Or I, are I can. Okay. I can. So, um, you know, performance is uh, a topic that is never-ending. It is the perennial requirement. Uh, especially in the file system world, and especially given that uh, every workload uh, has a different performance uh, set of needs, whether it's latency or throughput or some other scale factor. So uh, as we move through uh, this year, we've taken a number of, uh, made a number of changes to the service, improvements to the service to uh, continue to drive our latencies down. Right now, our latencies, um, I'm not give you the exact number, doesn't make sense, because it depends on your application. Um, but for every file I.O., uh, you know, we're down in the low single-digit latencies uh, today, uh, very low single-digit latencies. And we continue to improve that. Uh, we have some improvements that will be coming at the very end of this year uh, that will further uh, uh, improve on what that looks like. And we have targets uh, in the near future uh, that will uh, drop that to sub-millisecond latencies. Good question. Um, Great. I have a couple of questions. Uh, first, uh, as far as the native file system for the EFS and also the Windows version, is it NTFS? And also on the Linux side, what is the actual uh, file system that's running there? So I just want to make sure I heard the question clearly. It was a, a little muted. So you're asking what the actual file system is for FSX for Windows? Correct. Okay, great. So um, FSX for Windows is built on Windows Server. Uh, we fully manage. Uh, we take care of manage, administer, provision Windows servers that run Windows file server software. 
and underneath that is a Windows file system or NTFS okay. file system, if you would. And so out of the gate, natively, all of the compatibility that you would expect from running a Windows file server or running a Windows server will exist with uh, FSx for a Windows file server. So whatever application you're running today, if you re-platform to use uh, uh, FSx for Windows, you will achieve the level of compatibility um, right out of the gate. It's fully integrated with, with AD. It's fully integrated in terms of you know, all of the other features you'd expect from, from that platform. And on the Linux side, on EFS, what's the? So, so EFS is a, is a POSIX-compliant file system uh, that is NFS version 4 and 4.1 based. So any application that you have that runs on uh, or can, can operate correctly against an NFS uh, mount point uh, using 4.0 or 4.1 um, should work just fine with EFS. And of course, with any application, we, we always ask that you, you, know, you test the application to make sure that it works because f applications are, are tricky, tricky things. And if you ever have any challenges with that, all you gotta do is reach out and talk to us. Um, one of the things with EFS, it's a highly parallel uh, uh, file system, and so the, the, the more multi-threaded your application is, the better uh, performance, the better experience um, the, uh, the application will see. Okay, last question. Uh, the maximum IOPS for both of those. Sure, uh, for, for you're, you're talking about for EFS or for? Both of them. Okay, so um, I don't have the actual maximum IOPS for FSX for Windows, um, I can get that, uh, but I don't have it. I, but it is, it's in the 100,000 plus range. Uh, I do know that, I just don't have the exact number. Um, for FSX for Lustre, Lustre is a, is, a, is a parallel file system built for HPC, so it's millions of IOPS. Um, EFS has two performance modes, uh, GP mode or general purpose mode, max IO mode. Um, in GP mode, every file system can get 7,000 file IOPS a second. In, in max I.O. mode, uh, you can drive over 500,000 IOPS a second. And the trade-off that you see is um, slight increases in IOP latency on max I.O., uh, but generally at those levels, people are looking for throughput, then they are absolute lowest latency. Okay? I don't, uh, here. Sure. Uh, a right couple of questions. You. So first of all, about the performance. Uh, I tried to launch uh, the Luster, FX Luster uh, system and uh, what I see is that the maximum size of the file system that is supported is 25 terabytes, and the maximum performance I can get is about 5.4 gigabytes a second, which makes it... What was that number again? I just didn't... 5.4 gigabytes a second. That was okay. the maximum number that was specified. So this is very much aligned with a large EFS file system, so I don't see any difference in the performance scale. Yeah, so I can, I will, I will, um, uh, I can talk to you offline about that uh, because I, I'd have to go to the console and figure out if that's a limitation we've set up just on day one. Um, I believe that the 25 is, uh, but uh, that's not what the system's designed for, and we may be just looking at you know a week one um, limitation. But let's talk offline. I will make sure I get your information, and and we can go from there because we've tested to hundreds of gigabytes a second um, and hundreds of terabytes. Uh, of, of size, uh, so I know that um, that's what we do support. We may have put a limiter in there for, for week one. I see, okay. But thank you, if you've already tested it, thank well, you. Well, I didn't provision it, I just tried to see what the limits are. Well, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> so the other question is, uh, both looking on EFS and the FXS for uh, Windows, uh, it looks like there are many things that uh, 
customers would expect from the enterprise class uh, NAS are not there. So I can have like snapshots or uh, many other things that people would expect. And that's what kind of brings an opportunity for whatever NetApp Cloud volumes or Infinity.Nutrix or other things. Are there any plans to introduce such features with EFS and uh, Windows? So uh, uh, in terms of the Windows platform, uh, are there particular features that are missing from the Windows platform that you've uh, recognized so far? So things like previous versions, for example, on the Windows side. Okay, and so uh, part of what we do with any of these services when we come on on day one is understand what additional capabilities um, are important to customers uh, because it, you know guessing at what that will be uh, is, I've been wrong most sure. often. So uh, with respect to EFS, uh, you know, we've, we've heard that uh, snapshots are important, so it's a consideration uh, for us. Uh, as, as well as uh, other enterprise features. And just like the uh, changes that we've made or improvements that we've made this year, whether it was provision throughput or encryption in transit or uh, today with the pre-announce of uh, infrequent access storage class, we will continuously take that input and make these changes to the service. So um, I'm, I'd be you know, really excited to get your list of things you think are really important. Uh, with respect to uh, other uh, enterprise class file systems that you may want to see on FSX. Again, FSX was built to be a family of file, uh, file services for third-party open source or proprietary um, uh, file systems. So if there are particular file systems that are of interest to you uh, for various reasons, please come talk to us. Thank you. You're welcome. Hello, Wayne. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Um, both questions that I have are in regards to FSX for Windows. Um, the first question I had was, it leverages SSD. Does it also tier to S S3 storage over time? Uh, so uh, again, coming out of the gate, uh, what customers have uh, asked us to provide is a high performance uh, offering for Windows. So we built the offering on SSD okay. uh, in order to provide the throughput and the latencies uh, in the IOPS that were requested. Uh, I believe that over time we will get feedback uh, to have uh, perhaps, uh, more, uh, if you would, almost like an IA uh, for, for FSX for Windows. Uh, I look forward to getting those requirements once people get, you know, kick the tires. Okay. And the second question was in regards to in, uh, encryption and transit. Are you leveraging SMB3 or are you using your own encryption to provide that encryption and in transit? Yeah, so we, we are leveraging the native Windows capability and, and, the, and the, it's really Kerberos uh, that's, that's providing the, you know, the, the material to do the encryption. Okay, thank you. Yep. So hi, I'm from a university and we have NetApp and Windows clusters doing file service for end users, and drive letters and so on. What are the steps for me to take that data and re-platform it up into AWS so that my users don't see any difference? So it's all still the same to them. Sure. So uh, I just want to make sure I understood uh, the the you know the journey that you're trying to start, or right. you, you you are in the process of, of uh, going through. So you have NetApp filers uh, on prem, mm -hmm. and you also have Windows file servers that you're using on prem. Right. Okay. And uh, are you looking to uh, run because uh, NetApp is a partner of ours, uh, and they do have an offering on AWS? Are you looking to leverage? that offering 
uh, or you're looking to replatform onto a native AWS service. Replatform native. Okay. And um, what would I need to do is, you know, probably dive a little bit deeper with you on uh, what capabilities you're leveraging um, on the NetApp platform. Yeah. And very straightforward, just Windows file service. Okay. Uh, so just Windows. Yeah. Okay. So in that particular case, uh, you probably would have an. an, an uh, I'm going to go on a limb and say an amazing experience uh, by replatforming to FSX for Windows, given that it's a full, fully compatible native Windows solution. Um, in terms of how you get your data from on-prem in, um, I think I just saw uh, the GM for uh, data transfer, Asa, who's right back there. She just walked in. That was perfect timing, Asa. Uh, and let's, let's have that conversation to see what opportunities exist there based on your needs. And so do I need the storage gateway as well? Um, storage gateway might be uh, uh, the right solution for you. Uh, data sync might be the right solution for you. Uh, Snowball might be the right solution for you. Uh, so let's have the conversation to figure out what your needs are. You know, maybe we need to drive a snowmobile up to your building uh, and, and empty it out. But uh, so yeah, I'm more worried about how my users and from the desktops are going to see this data once it's there. So let's have that. Let's have that okay. deep conversation. And then ongoing, how do I back up that data once it's up in the the replatform services. So uh, FSx for Windows supports uh, backup today. Uh, you on a file system you can set a, a backup uh, capability that will back it up you know once a period whatever that period happens to be uh, and it, it essentially takes a snapshot of the data and saves that data off into S3 so it's off of uh, the, the primary platform and onto a secondary platform. Thank you very much. You're welcome. These are great questions. See, I told you I like this part of the session a lot more. Got a couple questions. Once on that SFX uh, for Lester, it was a little bit confused. Is it only supports S3 like the, as the data repository, or is that an optional thing? So my apologize because I, I did emphasize uh, the notion of uh, both the re-platforming uh, re piece with bringing uh, your Lustre workloads and the re-architecting piece by using S3 as a primary uh, data source or a source of truth for your data. Um, however, you can use other sources of truth for your data and bringing that data into and then writing that data out of um, your Lustre cluster. Can Lustre itself be the data repository? Or? That's a great question. So um, one of the things that uh, we had a lot of conversation about when we built uh, this initial GA offering based on feedback that we got from customers was that speed and cost were primary for them. And, and due to both of those, what we've done is, um, it is a, this is a, uh, not a highly durable solution. Uh, so uh, it's basically, um, you know, we're not replicating the data across AZs or producing some other sharded scheme that will protect the data uh, beyond a single copy. And by doing this, it greatly reduces the cost of running these clusters uh, for you. Um, what that does mean is that you need a source of truth that is something other than the cluster itself. So it's really meant for this, you know, hour, day, week, month type of execution before you, um, you know, write the data back or checkpoint the data and then um, end up terminating the cluster. Okay. And last question is, um, so there's, um, there's the e uh, FXX for Windows, there's EFS. Um, it, it, are you worried about, I mean, are, you know, what if we need data to be shared amongst the various use case, or, or is this um, 
kind of sort of creating silos in the cloud? That's a great question. And um, I don't know if I, I would say I worry uh, about it, but I do think about it. Um, and it is really our responsibility to help you manage uh, you know, your, your various um, uh, storage uh, repositories, if you would, your various lakes, if you would. And uh, one of the things that Acer and I talk about as, uh, as part of solutions that we want to offer is how do you move uh, data to where it needs to be on the best platform. It's, it's you know, much like if you think about uh, life cycle management, like, you know, is, is, is Deep Archive and Glacier the right place for your data or is uh, S3 Standard the right place for your data? Similar conversations can be had about, you know, if, if I have a Linux workload, is EFS the right place? And if I have a Windows workload for the same data, like how do I make that happen? And those are conversations that we're actively having right now because getting the data to where it needs to be is, is part of the tool set or hopefully uh, not tool set that you don't have to worry about. Um, you just have to specify what's important to you. So we can have okay. those conversations as well if okay. you have applications needing it. Yep. Thank you. Yep. Hi, we're doing a uh, migration of all of our applications uh, into, into Amazon over probably the next year, uh, starting in, in January. Some of them uh, on a small scale, we did some POCs and, and re-architected them and moved them. But on the larger scale, uh, we're going to be moving, you know, maybe a couple thousand VMs um, with the help of Assenture, and it's going to be more of a lift and shift. Uh, a lot of the applications they, they use a, a NAS um, and an SFTP interface with a product called Tumbleweed. And we were kind of leaving that out of the migration um, until I'm seeing these, these new offerings that, that I think would, would enable us to sort of um, just move that data up into S3 and EFS uh, and then just point the applications and the users as well to, to those, uh, those data stores. Does that seem reasonable? It seems very reasonable. We need to dive deeper into the specifics of your, of your workloads and use cases. Uh, but what I said earlier around uh, the simplicity of transfer for SFTP is uh, a solution I would strongly encourage uh, that you look at if you have an SFTP workflow today. Because what uh, ASA and team have built is, is, is truly super, super simple. Uh, and it's, it's by and large worry free. Um, you really just through a few clicks uh, of the console uh, can stand up, you know, your domain name and start with your standard clients that you use today, start using SFTP on an infrastructure that you don't have to worry about with all of your data landing in your bucket and you can use that data any way you want using all of the integrations that S3 has today. Um, and, you know, again, the, the data is moving back and forth between your clients and, and AWS, so it's a pretty simple solution. So I yeah, would encourage you to engage it. Um, I, part of it was the separation between uh, what would go into S3 and what would go into EFS because since, uh, since the product presents, uh, presents this storage as, as, as sort of a NAS, as a, you know, as a network file system to the applications, but it presents the same, the same structures to users via SFTP. So do I have to make the choice of, you know, if I want to present it as the SFTP interface that it has to go in the S3 bucket and then, you know, if it has to be mounted by the application, like as an NFS mount, I mean, I wouldn't want to copy it again into EFS. You know, exactly. So, so let's so that's the part that I'd have to think. Yeah. About. So let's let's have that conversation. Um, it sounds like a very interesting uh, use case. Hi, Wayne. Uh, question on the uh, FSX product: uh, Are we uh, is the product? Um, can we leverage our existing Active Directory domain, or do we have to use um, 
Yes, you can. So we can set up a, uh, um, uh, a one-way trust uh, with an existing uh, AD environment um, and, and, and leverage your AD in, in that fashion. Got it. So follow-up to that, there's, there's no way to join it to my on-premise Active Directory? Um, we, we, used, uh, we use uh, AWS um, uh, Managed uh, Directory um, and Managed Active Directory. And um, you know, Active Directory is a, sometimes an interesting uh, you know, process to understand what, how to get it all to, to happen. So I, again, I'd probably want to sit down with you and understand your specific auth needs okay. uh, to figure out if the current implementations um, meet them, and if not, what we need to do to make it work. Thanks, Wayne. Okay. So maybe as a follow-up to the previous question. So when I provision the FXS file system and it requires uh, the AD managed by AWS, that means that I have to pay also for this AD, right? That's about $48 a month or something like that? Yeah, I can't speak to the price, but um, you don't have to stand up a, a full AD environment if you have your own AD environment to make that work, to set up the one-way trust. Um, there's, there's several different uh, uh, variants, one which is uh, relatively inexpensive, but again, I don't know the exact cost. So I would have to go look to answer that question directly. Mm -hmm. I have two questions. Uh, the first one is for duplicating permissions uh, from the on-prem environment on migration. Do you have any plans for how that would work? So specifically, um, you, are we talking about using one of the transfer services yeah. to move uh, a POSIX file, POSIX permissions up into? Um, uh, Windows file permissions up into uh, FSX. Okay, so uh, I, I, let's take that offline with ASA. I, I, actually, I don't know that detail. Um, I apologize for not having it in my cache. My other question was, we have a number of uh, Windows file systems distributed globally that we replicate the same data to all these other sites to get it close to their facilities. Um, there's similar services already in AWS. Is there anything like this for FSX? So uh, what are you using today to do that uh, uh, distribution? Uh, uh, Tunity, RepliWeb, R1. Okay. Um, again, I, let's, let's have that conversation. Uh, I want to make sure that I don't uh, promise you something that's not true and okay. not hold back anything that is true. Right, thanks. Okay. Another question on the FXS for Windows. Uh, what is the limit for number of files within a file system? Um, because uh, the solution is built on uh, Windows Server using uh, the file server capability within Windows Server, um, any of the limits that exist uh, within that platform are exactly the same uh, with this platform. Well, well you, you support file systems up to 64 terabytes. NTFS supports 256, so it's smaller. Uh, so right. I, I do know that we're supporting the maximum amount of storage per server. We also um, pr uh, support out of the gate uh, DFS namespace DFSR. So uh, you do have the ability to build a DFS-based tree uh, to get beyond the 64 terabytes under a single namespace. Yeah, but the single file system size is l smaller than what NGFS supports. So you're saying that files, the limit for the files, uh, files on the file system is the same as defined by Microsoft? That's correct. Okay, it seems like we might be at the end of our questions. That was a fantastic set. 
Um, so thank you all for coming today. Uh, really appreciate your time, uh, appreciate your input uh, on, the, on the services that we've delivered. And from the input that I received today, it looks like on the features and capabilities we'll probably be developing for next year. So uh, thank you very much. Enjoy replay tonight. Um, you know, party responsibly, uh, but party uh, as hard as uh, you can. So have fun. Thank you very much.